0: This podcast was recorded on September 4th, 2019. The views and opinions expressed herein are as of the date recorded and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities. Such views and opinions may differ from those of DoubleLine Capital or of its affiliates and are subject to change without notice. DoubleLine has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. (laughs)
1: Welcome to another episode of The Sherman Show. Jeff Sherman here with my co-host Sam Lau. Hey, hey. And today we've recruited another internal guest from our CLO desk, Joe Mezik.
2: Hey, thank you very much for having me.
1: So Joe, what do you
2: know? I know CLOs. Okay, uh, That's, yeah. you're keeping the rhyming structure in place. <laughs> yep, it rhymes. Yeah. It fits.
1: Um, no, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, how'd you get in the business? How'd you become a world-class CLO trader?
2: Yep. So ever since I was uh, very young, going back to when I was in in you know grammar school, second grade, I always I was really like math. I knew from a young age I liked math. I like critical thinking, and I also liked people. So as as I grew older, I knew I wanted to uh, go into some type of of business role. So I figured a good thing to do would be to work at a bank. So I went and I worked. Uh, I grew up in Chicago. I worked at a a bank in Chicago is a very kind of traditional bank. Uh, you, have yeah, Chicago. Chicago. you have that Chicago. Yeah, got that Chicago. I was hoping you guys wanted to hear my accent. It's on the Chicago. I yeah, I let yeah. it out. Okay. So I was providing very uh, you know traditional banking services, providing revolvers to middle market companies so they can make make widgets and things like that. I gotta like,
1: slow down. You gotta explain what revolvers are, middle market oh, companies. I,
2: yeah. I, I apologize. At first, I thought you were talking about bank telling or something. No, yeah. no. So right. a, a revolver is a. Uh, it's like a credit card. It's a revolving line of credit where you can draw down and then. You you pay it back, but the line is still open, so you can um, draw down and pay back as you see fit, like your like your credit card. And so companies use that to manage their working capital needs. If there's seasonality, then they can draw down the loan when they need it and then pay it back when they get, you know, cash from their Christmas sales and, and things like that. So it was a very good introduction to, because I didn't know anything. It's a good introduction to banks and, and what banks do. But I wanted something more, kind of rigorous and challenging, and more analytical uh, to go with the way that I that I think. And so the the bank that I worked at had a, asset-backed securities group. Um, so I saw that and and learned a little bit about it, although I didn't know much. And I I was able to finagle my way into into that group, and I I got a job there working in New York in the asset-backed securities group, which there I was a. I was a generalist. We covered, um, I was on the structuring team. So any type of securitization that the bank did from auto loans to credit cards, container ABS, uh, CLOs, uh, we were involved with the, with the structuring. So it was a very good introduction to uh, securitization and how, how it works. You know, we used to build cash flow models in Excel by hand, go through waterfalls, do a lot of really deep fundamental um, understanding now, if I want to, you know, look at a bond, I just pull it up and in Intex, and, and in two seconds, <laughs> yeah. I have you know as many scenarios as I want. But back when I was starting, we used to build these big you know Excel models, and you get a pool of ten thousand auto loans, you would have to figure out how to aggregate them, model the waterfall, and, and uh, um, you know project the the cash flows. So that was a very good fundamental understanding of securitization and, and banking. And when was that? This like, was uh, two thousand and this was two thousand and eleven. I guess I guess going back to really two thousand ten, but through two thousand fourteen, and so that was what I liked about working at a bank. Ooh, sorry about that. That was what I liked about working at a bank, but um, you know I was young. And there were some things that I did not like as much about working for a bank. So I was. I was young and we had just hired a uh, new president um, f- of the bank that I was working at and I remember we had a quarterly call and this new president was going to come in and the whole company was going to talk and I was very young, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and I was like, all right, I'm going to figure out how I can help the bank and what I can do to help us grow and kind of make a name for myself. And it was an hour-long meeting. We had a PowerPoint presentation and we talked about two things for the entire meeting. First was regulation. And the second was cost cutting. So interest rates were very low, so that, that compresses the net interest margin that banks earn from doing their kind of traditional um, banking activities. And there's been a lot of uh, regulation in the, in the uh, banking industry uh, in response to the financial crisis. So I remember I got to the end of that one hour presentation, I took one note at the end, and it was get another job. <laughs> so I was. That was able-
1: not on the PowerPoint. That was your own note. That was no,
2: because okay. I went in there. I was like, all right, this is gonna be great. We got a new yeah. guy. I gotta figure out, you know, how I, how I can help and 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 do things. And we spent an hour talking about cost cutting and uh, and regulation, which is not exactly what you want when you're you know fresh and starting your your career. So doesn't
1: really go in with the math skills and logic, right? No, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: okay. no. Um, so I worked, I was able to get a, another job at a asset management company, which was organized as something called a, a business development company or a, a BDC. And a BDC is a, um, it's structured similar to a REIT, where if they, uh, a real estate investment trust, where if they pay out a certain amount of their income and dividends, then they're not, they're not taxed on them. So um, you know, if they invest the the money that they raise in certain qualified assets, they don't have to pay taxes on them. So, kind of like a mutual fund is as well, Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. So we – I worked in the leverage finance group and I was responsible um, around a team that was responsible for our CLO equity um, investing business. And we were one of the uh, – the largest uh, CLO equity buyers. We had about a billion dollars in, in CLO equity. CLO equity is. Um, we're, gonna, we're gonna have to we yeah. have to define
1: a lot of this stuff. So yeah, you, you're, stop you're, me if yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> well, you. well, you've went from being in grammar school, studying math, <laughs> to CLO equity. It's a big jump.
3: It was uh, a big jump. Yeah,
1: but I mean, hey, that's the uh, that's that's the career progression you had. So maybe you can start before you talk about what the CLO equity is. Maybe you can ex- explain what a CLO is from. The definition of a collateralized loan obligation and try to walk folks through it because you've already been talking about waterfalls and equity tranches like maybe you yeah. can explain what that looks like
2: yes yeah. so uh, CLO like you said is a collateralized uh, loan obligation so it's a securitization of leverage loans. so when I when I think about securitizations I always think about a balance sheet you have the asset side and then you have uh, liabilities and um, And equity. So the assets in the case of a of a CLO are leveraged loans. So what's the difference between a leveraged loan and a and a non non leveraged loan or a regular loan? The 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 main difference is the non investment grade um, nature of the of the collateral of the loans, where there's you know, these are you know they have some, a high leverage within the corporate structure. Yes, right? high leverage. Yeah. Or they're they're not they're not like companies. You know, like l- some large leverage loan issuers are like American Airlines and Dell. It's not like these are companies that no one has ever heard of. But they're traditionally used um, when private equity companies go and engage in uh, leverage buyouts, and they want to buy a company, and they lever it up to to increase their return. So that that kind of creates the. Uh, collateral, the you know the asset side of the of the securitization balance sheet, and which most
1: people will call bank loans too, right? Bank it's loans, loan, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So bank you loans. think about the bank loan market. Yes. Leverage loan sounds scary, like that's the leverage and it's a yeah. loan. Yeah. You know, yeah. but you call it a bank loan. It's just the loan it's a loan. That's very by traditional. By yeah. People have right.
2: been doing them for for the years. Right. Um, and then you sell via the you know the, the financial technology that is securitization. You sell um, CLO bonds that are backed by the cash flows that are generated from the assets. So through, you know, credit tranching, which you guys have talked about with Andrew on this show before, you um, create different tranches and, and different bonds that have different um, risk profiles where there's a senior bond that has the, um, you know, the highest priority on the cash flows generated by the loans. And then you, you go down through through mezzanine tranches. And then at the end, you have a, a residual tranche that gets the residual um, payments that are that are made um, from from the loans, and that's what what is called CLO equity. So it's the riskiest part of the uh, CLO you know capital structure. Investors like us like this process of securitization of turning bank loans into these securities because it allows us to express um, views that we that we have. You know, if we're if we're positive on the economy and we want to go risk on, we can go lower in the capital structure and do things like buy, um, you know, CLO equity. If we're more negative, we can go higher up in the capital structure and invest in AAAs and, and safer things that uh, will not, you know, have a s- lower, smaller chance of, of losing value.
1: So let's talk about that. You talked about leveraged loans. The assets are typically below investment grade rate right? Mm-hmm. So I think about this. So I take a bunch of things which in aggregate, each, or each individual piece can ver- carries a below investment grade rating. Mm-hmm. You aggregate them. By definition, it has to be below investment grade. can't get any better. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, you talked about creating these securities that have a rating higher than that. Mm-hmm. How, how should people get their minds around that? Take yeah. a bunch of things that are rated below investment grade and create high quality or higher quality types of securities yep. out of that.
2: Yeah, that's I mean what you're just describing is that one of the main benefits of of securitization in general and why it was why it's such a, a powerful tool. And you think back to like subprime um, um, housing, the ability of of you know people to make subprime loans and finance them at attractive at attractive rates. So it's really this uh, concept of of credit tranching and different uh, tranches of securitization have different uh, priorities of payment on the cash flows that are generated. By the loan, so you can think about it um, as losses are taken from the equity tranche uh, up through the through the senior tranche. So in a in a very simple example, let's say you have hundred dollars of loans as on the asset side of the balance sheet. You know, ninety dollars of of debt on the liabilities side of the balance sheet, and then ten dollars of equity. The first ten dollars that you lose. On your assets, if ten ten dollars worth of the assets um, default or, or or you know lose lose their principal value, those are all absorbed by the by the equity tranche. So your debt is still okay. So you know and you can even go through um, further tranching of that. I don't want to, we don't need to get into too much details. But AAA CLOs have, have much more what's called um, credit enhancement, where for a, a AAA CLO. You know, th- approximately 35% of the uh, leveraged loans would have to um, lose their value, which is why we think A's are at risk remote. You're taking other risks when investing in sale triple AAAs, but credit risk is very remote due to how robust the, the structure is. So let's talk about
1: the robustness of that structure. So <clears throat> you, you talked about 35% losses. So what type of scenario historically has given that 35% loss scenario? Because, you know, we, we've, we've seen this in the housing market mm-hmm. that, you know, housing had never went down on a nationwide basis. Then all of a sudden you, you have that, you have that um, uh, deceleration, you had the defaults. Um, h- how does one think about that? So a 35% default rate gets me to where my AAAs or, or these senior bonds start to take losses. Mm-hmm. Uh, h- how does that materialize? And yeah. what does the world look like that creates that type of scenario?
2: Yep, so that's a, that's a good question. So, what needs to happen is what we're worried about is the losses that are actually experienced on the collateral. You have, you know, when you talk about securitization, there's a default rate, but then there's also a recovery rate or a severity that that uh, we talk about. So, the leverage loan market and what goes into CLOs, which is another important um, aspect of CLOs that makes them positive, is they're primarily first lien um, leveraged leverage loans. So, that means they have, when a company if a you know, corporate company defaults, they have a first lien on the assets of the company and, and will get paid out at a, at a higher level through bankruptcy proceedings than second lien debt or unsecured bonds. So historically, if you look at historic uh, recovery rates for first lien loans, they're in the 75 to 85% range. So what that means is even if 100% of the collateral defaulted, your ultimate loss would only be, you know, one minus the 75%, so 25%. So when we talk about uh, uh, CLO AAAs as having 35% um, credit enhancement, and even if all of your loan collateral defaults, if it recovers at the, you know, average historical rates, which there's no reason it needs to, but this is just for illustrative purposes, you will still be uh, money good on those on those triple So that's uh, just an example of the robustness. You know, during the cr- the, the last crisis, which we can um, talk about, and and one of the reasons CLs are so popular now is because they performed very well through the crisis. But the loan market. Uh, Low market default rates peaked at approximately 11% um, in 2009. Is that that's an annual rate? That's a yeah, but annual yeah. rate. The last uh, trailing 12-month default yeah. rate was was 11%. But what was very interesting about the um, financial crisis with respect, with respect to CLOs was the the shape of the default curve is a uh, uh, matters um, very much for the performance of CLOs. So when I say defaults peaked. At 11% in 2009 it was a very sharp uh, rise up to 11% and then by the end of 2010 so one year later they were back down below 2% so it was a very steep rise but it was also a very steep fall and because of the nature of, of CLOs and you know how their they're I get. We don't need to get into too many details, but there's no force selling provisions. There's no uh, mark-to-market triggers. So CLOs are kind it's of built. Yes. Yeah, so yes, yeah, CLOs are kind of built to be able to withstand that um, quick stress. So that's why you know if you look at CLO 1.0 equity returns, um, they're very good. You know, high teens, kind of low twenty percent uh, returns, which has been a, a major reason that the market has become more popular. And you talked about the, the growth of my career earlier, and the growth of my career is uh, directly correlated with the growth <laughs> of the CLO market, which before the crisis, CLO market was about $300 billion. And today it's a uh, $650 billion market. So you know, just post-crisis, it's it's more than doubled.
1: So similar to what you've seen in the uh, investor grade world, right? So mm-hmm. kind of corporate America in general has doubled its debt load across the whole yep. stack,
3: whether it's
2: loans,
1: bonds. Yep. Yeah, loan
2: market was yeah. six hundred million before the crisis. Yeah. Now it's over one point one, trillion, well, yeah, one point two trillion. So the loan market doubled as well. Uh,
3: so yeah. So you, you talked about some of the um, how robust the AAA space can be in in CLOs based on the structural protections. Um, so let's just say that the credit risk is is low to perhaps non-existent if you look at historical measures.
2: What is the risk then to those holders? Yes, yeah, So there's uh, what we like. There's market value risk like the the prices their' spread risk like these assets do have spread duration, so if you buy a triple CLO with a one forty spread today you know during the during the crisis especially um those prices um can spreads can gap out to two hundred or three hundred basis points and and spreads and prices can fall as those uh, spreads wide, and that was something that was experienced during the crisis. And then another risk you're taking is is uh, extension risk. Um, not to get too much into the weeds, but CLOs, something that makes CLOs y- kind of unique across the uh, structured product spectrum is that the collateral pool of loans is actively managed. And there's something called a reinvestment period where during the the reinvestment period, the collateral manager, can, um, if a loan prepays, they can reinvest the proceeds from the, from the prepayment into um, other loans or or they can just make a relative value decision. They can say, um, I don't like this loan, I like this loan better, or I'm worried about the retail industry, so I wanna sell my retail loans. So that uh, reinvestment option creates, um, creates risk that after the reinvestment period, um, your bonds will pay off very slowly, like, you know, Something that we saw um, post-crisis is a lot of those AAAs, they extended, um, they extended very long because people were able to reinvest even after the reinvestment period, which is a risk that, um, you know, we, we can mitigate and we look at uh, very carefully through certain doc provisions that would put everyone that's listening to this to sleep. <laughs> yeah, um, I know you're known as,
1: um, you read as much about as our legal team around yeah. here, you know, going through all those offering. <laughs> yeah, back. So um, let me play a little devil's advocate here, too, because you talked about, well, let's say that 100% of the loans defaulted in this pool you own, but you get an average recovery rate. So uh, obviously, if we have 100% default rate, you know, things are looking pretty shaky out there. <laughs> and we've heard a lot of things that were negative about um, the bank loan market. Um, one thing that comes to mind is covenants, right? Yep. The the expression of, or the um, the amount of covenant light securities out there in the bank loan market. And so how, how do you think about modeling this when thinking about transactions and trying to think about forward-looking, obviously using history as some form of guide, but understand that there are less protections for the loan holders today. How does that influence your thinking about analyzing CLOs? And do you have a different way of kind of stressing these securities, um, the CLO securities, to... Uh, tolerate some changes in the behavior due to these covenants.
2: Yes, absolutely. You can't have a conversation about loans and CLOs today without covenant light uh, coming up. It's been a very popular uh, topic in the in the market. And so let's define it too. Yes. What does it mean? And you know, what
1: is it? What how does it impact?
2: You? Yeah, so um, uh, loans, uh, lev- leverage loans, bank loans. Um, historically, they have covenants, and there's there's two types of of covenants, or something called a maintenance covenant, and, and an incurrence comf- covenant. And a maintenance covenant is something that the company has to maintain every quarter. So you can have a, a, a leverage covenant, and every quarter, as um, the company reports its financials, they need to um, be in compliance with their with their maintenance covenants. There's also something called an incurrence com- covenant, which is a, a similar co- concept, except they only have to be in compliance with the covenant when they – are going to do some type of tr- transaction, such as incur debt or um, pay a dividend. Um, so historically, all um, bank loans or very significant um, portion of the bank loan market had a maintenance covenant. Every quarter, their leverage or their interest coverage had to be a certain number. And if not, it was, it was a, you know, it could, could lead to a default and there was things that uh, lenders could do to protect themselves. Now over 80 uh, percent of the market is covenant light, which means that they don't have any maintenance covenants. They only have incurrence covenants. So then they have to meet these covenants if they go to issue a dividend or take on additional debt. So it's, it's uh, very interesting. There's a few, I mean, there's we think about this a lot, and there's a lot of, uh, of repercussions to that, uh, the, f- the first of which is recoveries are going to be lower. Um, it's it's pretty, uh, it's pretty obvious for any kind of Anyone who takes a, a quick look at the uh, at the at the loan market, that recoveries are going to be lower in this um, cycle due to the prevalence of of covenant lights. Um, we're seeing a lot of uh, loan-only capital structures, which you know, again, historically or traditionally, you have a first lien loan, then maybe you have a second lien loan, then maybe you have some unsecured bond, and maybe even some further mezzanine debt below that. But now we're seeing just a lot of Loan only structures, so you like to see debt below you because in the event of a bankruptcy, that debt will um will take the losses, the losses first. So recovery rates will be lower when
1: when you think lower, how how do you think of that? Like is it five percent lower? are we going to go to seventy, eighty? Mm-hmm. Are we talking 55, 65 now? Are I we talking think, like high yield market where on average yes. it's been like 30, 40?
2: Yes. Uh, well, I think it'll be, I don't think it'll be quite as as much as high yield. I would put it in between high yield, which is 30, 40, and uh, the, the, uh, the you know average leverage loan, which is like seventy-five, eighty-five, somewhere in the in the in the fifty to sixty range, because you know loan documents have gotten have gotten looser, covenants have gotten looser, and in, in, a, in a lot of ways, if you you know you talk to our credit people here, the the loan documents are very similar to the bond documents that they're seeing, so those uh, recovery rates will uh, will definitely converge. And another interesting aspect that we think about with respect to Covenant Light is um, during the crisis, and and you know before all, all loans were, were Covenant Light. Once a company tripped uh, a maintenance covenant, the lenders could come to the table and they could say, "All right, you know we're going to raise the spread. This, this company's riskier now, so we're going to raise the the spread that you have to pay. We're gonna we're gonna um, you know make our collateral uh, better, raise the spread, and do things to." Um, help our recovery prospects. Now, without um, any maintenance covenants, um, you're not going to be able to see lenders come to the table and force the company to do something like like raise their spread. And the ultimate result of that is going to be more price volatility in loans during this um, cycle because spreads won't be resetting to kind of help cushion um, the price fall. You know, there's loans done today with LIBOR plus 200 plus 250 um spread and if the you know if we go through a credit cycle and the, and the loan market sells out those prices could go um very very low um especially since their coupon can't reset like like they used to be able to with covenants yeah. how much
3: does liquidity come into that type of situation as well because people oftentimes and i think rightly so talk about some of the the trading and settlement times mm-hmm. around the uh, bank loans yeah
2: so liquidity is a is a very um it's a it's a a very large part of our investment process when we think about uh CLOs here and you, know, you can categorize the the CLO market into two segments one is the uh the broadly syndicated market and then there's something called a, a middle market um CLO which you know we can we don't have to talk about exactly how they're defined but broadly syndicated larger deals think the dell and american airlines um billion plus dollar um tranches large companies Middle market um, loans could be only two or three uh, lenders in the deal, more kind of club deals. Um, you know, they don't have necessarily public financials, so you have to do a lot of more. It's just a very different um, underwriting process than looking at um, a, a broadly syndicated loan. And liquidity is very important um, for CLOs because of what I talked about previously with the with the reinvestment option. So one of the things that we um, – like to see in CLO CLO managers, an interesting thing of investing in CLOs, which you don't have to do quite as much in other uh, structured products, depending on the product. Is you're really underwriting a collateral manager because they have discretion to be able to make trades and do things as as they seem fit. It's not like a, a mortgage pool, which is a static pool, and you still need to you know focus on the originator, but you know the loans that are going to be in there day one, and those don't change. Uh, with CLOs, you need to look at what the day one portfolio is going to look like, but also see, you know, is this a manager that I think is going to um, manage risk properly? Like, do they have the right controls in place? Do they think about things in a way that, um, you know, makes sense with the way that that we see the world? So um, being able to take advantage of that liquidity option for managers is huge. Like, I think that the oil and gas um, downfall, commodities downfall that we saw in late 2015, early 2016 was a very good – example, where some managers were able to get ahead of that and trade out of their oil and gas loans. Other managers um, were not. And there was a large dispersion in, in performance because of that.
1: So let's go back to the collateral quick. And then I want to talk about the due diligence that you do on managers. But you, you mentioned oil and gas. You talk about 15. Uh, we had a default cycle there, right? Or at least there was a, a sector default, right? Mm-hmm. What did recoveries look like in loans for that sector, the market? So when yeah. you go in mass, when one sector you know, catches a you know, a, a bad, a bad roll of the dice there, right? I mean, oil prices were over a hundred. They ended, I think, the bottomed what around twenty six. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that was a quick drop, pretty, pretty precipitous. Mm-hmm. What did recoveries look like in the oil and gas I'm, I'm sure it's different for different yeah. parts, uh, different business lines.
2: Yeah. So it's very, it's very, uh, uh, it's, it's bifurcated. Like the recoveries were very bad in the in the coal industry. Uh, coal is an industry that hasn't really um, rallied back since the since the downfall. But in the more traditional, um, you know, oil and gas, particularly some kind of midstream companies, those recovery rates were in line with the with the historical averages of, of seventy five to eighty five percent. So it was very bifurcated. And, and you know, when when you think about recovery rates for, for CLOs and and loans in general, there's two types of of kind of reasons that a company defaults, if we were going to put it broadly. One of which is cyclical. Um, you know, like prices of oil, prices of commodities, they're cyclical, they rise and they fall. And another one is structural. Um, So you can put the broadly, you can put that uh, the commodities uh, downturn of 2015, 2016 as cyclical. Oil prices got very low and then and then they uh, recovered. But, you know, another uh, hot topic industry in the CLO market, in addition to oil and gas is is retail, and that is an industry where there are companies that are in a structural decline, where there's just no reason that uh, a sporting goods store needs to exist anymore because it can't compete with Amazon. So we have seen defaults in, in that space and, you know, the sports authority. I don't know if you know, I don't, I don't I, know if you guys. Yeah, I remember yeah. it as a
1: kid. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah.
2: they yeah. went into liquidation. The Toys R Us is another good example, too. So like. I remember yeah. it as a kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, these it's companies yeah. are in structural decline, where there's no um, cyclical upswing that they're going to be expecting, and those companies liquidated, and the recoveries were um, more in line with with uh, with you know unsecured bond recoveries than what we think of as the traditional 75% loan recoveries.
1: So how, how do you have faith in a manager to navigate through this, right? Because you're talking about some things being cyclical, some things being structural. Mm-hmm. How do you gather confidence through the, again, mm-hmm. the due diligence process and how you think about analyzing managers mm-hmm. um, when trying to pick deals? Because, again, you're not buying double line CLOs here. You're actually buying third party managed CLO mm-hmm.
2: transactions. Yep. So um, we do a significant amount of diligence when we invest in in managers, and there's there's I kind of group it into into two parts. There's the quantitative analysis. So one of the great things about CLOs and, and uh, many other structured products is there's so much data out there, and it's all very transparent. Every CLO every month, it uh, you know the trustee publishes a report that lists every loan, what its characteristics are, and what the, what the trading has been. And now with uh, the CLO market being, you know, you know, 20 years old now, a lot of these managers have been around for a long time. You know, some of them have dozens of deals. So we look, we look back at the performance of, you know, how have they done in previous deals? How did they manage during this? You know, how, how would they do with oil and gas? What did they do with retail? What did they do during the crisis is a, is a very important thing that, um, you know, when we invest, particularly in the lower part of the capital structure, we're always very focused on how our manager performed um, during the crisis. So... So the first you know the first part of that is we there is data out there where we have a lot we can do a lot of uh, quantitative analysis to look at how managers have performed relative to one another and we have a lot of tools that we've built to do that. And the second one is qualitative that um, it comes from practice and meeting with them you know we're, we're on the we're on the road a lot we talk to you know pick up the phone and, and, and call these managers a lot you have relationships with them and you get to really under you're underwriting an investment process so how do you think about credit markets? I think you know something that's uh, would be good to talk about now is loans are, have a very asymmetrical payoff um, payoff uh, schedule. Like we I, we talked about, or Andrew was on here talking about convexity. Loans are very negatively convex asset class because your downside, like we saw from Toys R Us and Sports Authority, is you know 20% recovery rate. If you buy a loan at par and it does well you're just going to get refied out or you're going to get paid back at par. Uh, loans, are, loans are callable. It's not like, you know, even high-yield bonds, they're, they're not callable. So there's some convexity. You can see a high-yield bond trading at, 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 you know, 110. Loans won't get much above 101, 102. And if just they, because they're callable all the time. It's yes. on some schedule. You if they do, things, you right see yeah. big refi, refi waves and, the spreads co- and, and spreads come down. So because of that asymmetric uh, payoff profile, we're very focused on limiting downside. And we think that good loan managers, the way that you are a good, a good loan, loan manager is avoiding the Toys R Us, is avoiding uh, oil and gas, avoiding um, losing, losing capital, because if you're right, um, you're just gonna get paid back at par. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, um, it's, it's, not def- it's definitely not a normal distribution. Yeah. Um, so as, as you've been through the, the market and you've seen the evolution, it started off where, after the crisis, anything started with the C and ended with the O was a bad phrase, right? Mm-hmm. And as you said, CLOs had weathered it, the CMO, CBO, CDO, all these phrases were out there. Um, and people said, oh, it's just a bad structure. And I think CLOs proved that as long as the assets are good underneath it, the structure still works. So what's happened in your market over the last 10 years since the financial crisis? Has there been an evolution? Has there been structural changes? in the way that the CLO market operates, um, standardization, w- what's changed and, mm-hmm. and is it are we in a better place? Because it sounds like we're in a worse place due to covenants on mm-hmm. the loan side, but has the CLO market responded to that in any capacity of trying to enhance or augment the structure to make it more resilient?
2: Mm-hmm. Yep, so first of all, the performance of CLOs uh, through the crisis was, was very good. Um, you know, we're talking about cumulative default rates across all CLO, CLO tranches below below 1% um, cumulatively during the crisis. So the performance was very good, which is, as I mentioned before, is part of why the the market has grown so much. Despite that very good performance during the crisis, um, the structure of CLOs has, has gotten better. Um, I don't want to Bore people too much with the details, but we talked about credit enhancement um, before and how much loans do you take a loss before your tranche takes a loss. Those have increased post um, post crisis, even though performance was very good. The collateral pool, uh, we keep uh, you know talking about bank loans and, and loans being uh, the collateral, which is true, but CLOs also have have small buckets where they can invest in other things such as second lien loans, such as bonds, and before the crisis. Um, structure other CLOs. So you could, it was a, a, a structured products bucket where you kind of had almost a CLO squared where a CLO would buy other tranches of CLOs, which you guys are all shaking your head. Yeah. It's, in retrospect, clearly not a good idea. Shiver. I, re- I, remember, <laughs> I
1: remember seeing the, C, the CDO cube, too, where yes. they were trying yes. to bought, make a CDO, of CDO squared. Yeah. And you're yeah, just like, man, that's leverage on leverage on leverage. What year was leverage. that? <laughs> yeah. 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 It was, it yeah. was, uh, it was late 06, let's just say. But anyway.
2: So, yeah. those, so what can be in the collateral pool is now much more uh, constricted, um, at least from a traditional perspective, because it is now all loan collateral with a small bucket for second liens. Um, usual CLOs do not have um, bond buckets today due to actually the Volcker rule. There's no structured product buckets. Um, and the credit enhancement is is higher. And we've learned you know, from how things went during the crisis, like I, I mentioned before about uh, reinvestment risk, or sorry, extension risk being a risk in AAAs. And so you know, we realized ways that managers were able to exploit that during the crisis, and we've inserted provisions in the documents so that they won't be able to do that on a go-forward basis. So, the CLO market has, has learned from the crisis. Um, the structures are, are more robust, um, and performance uh, has been very good, which is part of the you know part of the large growth in the market.
3: You mentioned earlier that um, investing in CLOs, depending on where you invest in the in the structure, can reflect your view on. Where we are in the economy, or what, what mm-hmm. your thoughts are on the economy. What are your thoughts right now? Yeah. What do you What do you
2: like? That's a great That's a great question. I'll i am uh, going to start from a from a macro perspective. So, the way that I look at seeing the the world right now from a, a broad perspective is I, I call it the uh, kind of a, a scared rally where you know this SPX S and P five hundred is up seventeen percent this year, which is a a very uh, large rally. So if you see you know, a large rally like that in a small, and sorry, in the large cap, you know, largest 500 um, equities, what would you expect small cap stocks to do? You'd expect them to be rallying even more in a, in a bull market like that. But that's not true. The the Russell 2000 small cap stocks are only up 10% on the year. You see S&P 500. That's like, that's that's like a, a Barclays Ag return, <laughs> 10% yeah, this yeah, year, yeah. right? Come on. Well, we'll get to yeah, that. Right. So you see um, S&P up 17%. You would expect high yield, uh, to outperform investment grade credit because that's a bull market trade, so high yield spreads will will do well. In fact, we've seen the opposite: investment grade credit is up 14% this year, and high yield is only up 11%. Um, and only. Then, <laughs> only.
3: I love these. Yeah. yeah, I love these onlys. Yeah, <laughs> in front of the double-digit returns. <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> well, and then and then if you take a deeper dive within the asset classes, so if you look at high yield. It's a bull market. You would expect triple C's to do better than single B's to do better than double B's. That's the exact opposite of what's happened. Where double B's have outperformed single B's, which have outperformed triple uh, C's, and it's the same way in the in the loan market where the higher rated loans are actually performing better than the lower rated loans, even though we have this risk on kind of kind of bull market uh, move. So I, that's why I called it a, a scared rally, and that's why I think. Uh, and I think it's it's a, it's natural where people are clearly pricing a higher uh, chance of recession um, into markets, and and the way that that has manifested itself in the in the CLO market is is, is twofold. Uh, first is the, the credit curve has steepened, so the credit curve is just that, you know the difference in what what spreads are between AAA's, so the safe uh, kind of top of the capital structure stuff. And um, double B's or, or, or any of the more the more junior tranches. So as that curve steepens, uh, investors are requiring uh, extra return in order to to take more risk. So that's kind of a, a, a risk off um, risk off move. So we've seen that and when over the summer.
1: And that's it, happened both in the assets and the liabilities, right? Yes. So the underlying loans, but also the CLO tranches reflect that, right? Yes. Yeah. yes. So
2: over right. the over the summer, we've seen a lot of you know a decent amount of volatility. Triple A prices have not moved. Triple A uh, CLO spreads are where they were to start the start the summer, but you cannot say that for mezz, where we have c- or mezzanine. I mean, you know, like single A, triple B, and, and and double Bs without getting into too many details. But those spreads have widened, which steepens out the the credit curve. And then the the second um, manifestation of that kind of risk-off rally or scared rally that we've that I, I made up is. Um, there's more dispersion based on credit quality with, within the individual um, credit tiers. So, you know, CLOs, we discussed uh, manager selection as being an important part of the process. You know, the larger liquid managers that have been around for 20 years trade better than the smaller, newer CLO managers that only have two two to three deals. So that kind of dispersion between, you know, the what how we refer in the market as tier one versus tier two or three managers has increased. And the same thing for credit quality and a lot of the, the credit metrics that we look at even within the tranches. So the CLO market, I think, again, it's a natural, um, it's a natural response to the pricing in of increased recession risk in the world. You go up in credit quality or you go up in uh, like, you know, from double B to triple A, or you go up in, in manager and, and, and better uh, quality of underlying bonds.
1: So you called it a scared rally. Lau has a phrase he used called "scared money don't make money." Yeah, scared so, money. Oh, scared money. money yeah. Sorry, I, I get confused. I don't think Lau
2: made that phrase out. No. No. He, he, <laughs> he claims he did. Actually,
1: he claims he did. He he takes credit for a lot it, of things. No, I embrace it. Yeah. Um, so you still didn't answer the question though. What do you like? So are you are you in the scared money trade, uh, where you're going up in quality, yes. up in higher quality manager? Yes. And you know, how long do you stay there? What do you look for as signs to? Want to go out and buy the dip or when do you want to like signal increasing that credit risk um in the portfolios
2: yes Uh, so we uh are currently in the in the mode of going up in in credit quality through you know we use we cast a very very small net and that of managers that we will buy and of deals that we will buy and we we've gotten just pickier and pickier as time progressed i think um you know the cycle is getting long in the tooth. Um, you know chances of a recession are increasing. Um, so it's 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 not. I mean we're not you know taking our our chips totally off the table. We're not um, you know selling everything and only only, only buying triple A's. But at the margin, we are um, moving up in credit quality. I think it's definitely not time to uh, buy very aggressively because, like I said before, spreads haven't really move that much at the top of the capital structure. I think the time to buy is when you start seeing panicked selling and, you know, blood in the streets and, 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 and things like when that. When the AAA
1: widen widened out significantly, yes. that's when you want to be a buyer. Down. Yes. And yeah.
2: we're, we're clearly not at that point yet, but that, that's a mean, um, that, you know, that, that there's still room left to run in the, in the credit cycle and the, and the carry of CLO MEZ can be very attractive, particularly in the, you know, like the very low, um, Interest rate environment where now. If you think, if you look at just a spot basis with a thirty-year Treasury below two percent, about one ninety-five, and three-month LIBOR is is uh, two ten. Um, obviously, forward LIBOR is downward sloping, and people don't expect that to to stay the supposed same. supposed to go to one
1: in a year, yeah. right? But, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: So, um, so the, the the carry of CLOs can be uh, you know very attractive for the for the next few however long you think it's going to be until the the next recession or downturn comes. So there still is kind of money to be made. As as Lau said, scared money don't make no money. So getting scared at the wrong time. Don't (laughs) Don't make no money. (laughs) That's his version. There you go. I like it. See, we're
1: we're getting that Chicago out. We're getting for our Chicago base out there. So hopefully there's some positive feedback on your your, uh, your sayings around here. So I've heard one other thing about the CLO market, too, is that it's the only reason the bank loan market exists now, mm-hmm. where there used to be a bigger buyer of bank loans like through insurance companies and the like. And you know, as you mentioned, this L plus, you know, with LIBOR being two, 140 on top of it, okay, it's a three and a half coupon today, but that doesn't get the job done for insurance companies. And so it's a CLO machine that has taken up the slack of buying the bank loans. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, is, what do you say as someone who traffics
2: in CLOs day in, day out? Yes, that's that's very true. We've seen a... We've seen a long, a long, almost a record streak. I think we're at 40 weeks now of outflows from uh, leveraged loan mutual funds, which are another buyer of loans, and the prices of loans has, has barely moved. And the the reason for that is because the CLO bid for loans is so strong. Where CLOs, um, you know, buy approximately 60% of of all new issue loans, and CLO creation or CLO issuance is is very high. Last last year was a was a record year of $130 billion in CLO issuance. We're only about 10% behind um, last year's pace this year. So the CLO market... Um, it's
1: amazing, given the weak loan demand out there from yes, the retail from buyer. the retail buyer. Is that you've been there. Your, your market yeah. has helped support that um, uh, in terms of at least taking that supply, obviously adjusting prices. Yeah.
2: But. It's also interesting to think about as, you know, people like the Fed and, and just casual observers of, of the loan market will take a look and say, oh, leverage has gone up. The loan market's $1.2 trillion. Um, is this going to be, you know, there's these CLO things. Is this going to be the start of the... Uh, Starts with the C and with the O. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> is this going to be the start of the next crisis? And if you read, I mean, Powell, uh, Powell was asked about um, loans, and I think it was the July presser, and, and he's been asked multiple times. And one of the Reasons he gives that the the Fed is not cons- concerned about the loan market as a systemic risk is because CLOs are actually um, what's what's buying the loans, and that CLOs uh, we talked about how robust their structures are, and a very other important aspect of CLOs is that there's no um, they're term finance vehicles, so there's no uh, mark-to-market triggers where they can be forced sellers or have to liquidate at the wrong time, so they're a very kind of steady and stable source of of loan demand, which actually provides stability to the loan market instead of being a systemic risk like people want to make us out to be.
1: Yeah. So that sounds very altruistic. And so um, I know when we were talking beforehand, when, uh, before you came on the show, you you were telling us an anecdote, and I like the story too, about how uh, you were conversing with someone and you were probably one of the most hated, you know, professions in the world. And I always say we're always going to be second to lawyers, at least, right? The <laughs> yeah. lawyers well, seem to always get it first. We won't first. be as bad as the lawyers. Yeah, we got that um, going for us. At least, at least so far. Yeah. Um, but uh, t- tell me how you respond to that question yeah. when people ask you, why would you choose a profession like this? It's unethical or, or whatever people yeah. want to say. And you're a money grubber and the likes. Um, you had a good little anecdote there. So yeah. I'd like to. I'd like you to explain it to our
2: Yeah, listeners. so, you know, I... I, I like to meet people, talk to people from all over the place in different different uh, walks of life. and And people ask me what I do, and I say I work in finance. The most common response is an eye roll, or oh, he's one of he's one of those guys. I
1: usually tell people I'm a, I work in computers, <laughs> and the reason for that is is that people are just so flummoxed by that idea that you actually say just computers. People are like wow, yeah, and the, it's guy. rare that someone will, will actually dig deeper. Mm-hmm. Like some people ask, "Are you a programmer?" I'm like, no man, I work with computers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so, sorry, I, I avoid the question. So. Yep. so
2: for me, I mean, you asked me how I got into this business, and I, I like I said, I could have told you when I was ten that I like numbers and I like critical thinking. So I want, you know, I think everyone has in their life, um, you know, pe- finance has a reputation of people just being in it for the money, or we're, everyone's just in here because we're greedy and we just we just want money. Um, I think once you get to a certain point in your life, it's about more than money, and you actually care about, you know, fulfillment and and having meaning in your life and things that are a lot harder to to accomplish than than just simply, um, you know, making money. So what I always tell people is that I'm in the I'm in I'm in the business of helping people because I know you know someone. Um, it's funny. I just moved to L.A. and someone asked me what I do, and I'm like, I'm in finance, and and they're like, what's that? Because in New York, you say you're in you're in finance. Everyone knows what that is, and they get the eye roll. I was like I help people. <laughs> You know, take their money and turn it into more money. And our, you know, our clients and the people that um, we work very hard to to try to make money for them are not, uh, you know, just some big kind of fat cats that people would, would think about. Like, our, you know, the largest asset allocations and asset allocators in the country are pension funds, which are, um, you know, severely uh, underfunded throughout throughout uh, our our country. So there's real people. Behind um, the, the money that that we're investing in. and and when we do well it allows pensioner pensions to play their pensioners and you know pensioners are average people if we can if we do well we can help them uh, retire more comfortably you know people save money in this in this world for a lot of reasons but retirement is a very important um, one of them and I can't think of something better to do for another person than to help them save money for retirement or have a more comfortable retirement. Endowments are very large, um, you know, asset, asset allocators and institutional investors. When we do well, they're able to provide scholarships for their, for their students or, you know, do some of the other things that, that uh, endowments do. So there's really, um, there is a, in, particularly in the asset management industry, is a very kind of direct uh, connection that when we do well, we are helping people and like i said i can't think of something that with with my skills and kind of my passion and the way that i look at the world i remember even thinking in college would be like all right what should i do with myself and i was like well it'd be great to you know this is going to be this might make me sound a little weird but you know curing cancer would be an amazing thing to do like like doing stuff like that is incredible i you know there's very smart people working on that and i and i hope they continue it's like but I just don't like biology. So I, 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 sorry, like I can't, I can't help you there. I know it'd be great. But what I do like is, is math and numbers and this, and this kind of business. It's a very interesting one. And we, we work very, very hard at it. Um, and it's to help our clients. And so I, I, you know, often when I'm out, I get in these, into these, uh, kind of conversations or arguments with, uh, it's not an argument, but conversations with people because we're working really hard to try to do good by people. And, um, Often the, the public perception perception of us is uh, is an eye will, which I think is mostly you know from uh, from a misunderstanding of, of, of what we actually do. So I'm glad that I have this uh, soapbox here for this small no, small it's, time it's, to uh, it's <laughs> explain. It's it.
1: great. It's great because it reminds me. I, I walk up and down the staircase between the 18th floor and the 19th floor here many times a day and there's a letter hanging on the wall there from one of our clients that we got early in the double line days. It was right after we opened our mutual fund and this guy wrote a letter directly to Jeffrey Gunlock and said, I followed you for so long. I've trusted you with my money. This is the $40,000 we have and we know you're going to take good care of it. And we hung it on the wall there to remind ourselves that it isn't the fat cats, it is everybody that's investing. A lot of people have 401Ks, a lot of people are have advisors out there that are trying to do good. And so I, I, that's why I wanted to bring that story because when you, when you brought it up to me, it really hit home with me too. And so. Um, that's why we love having you as a double employee, Joe. <laughs> Happy um, to be you know, here. And uh, obviously, you're doing great work in the CLO side. So Thank you. with that, we need to cut this off. We will have you as a returning guest because there's a lot more to go on here. Great. I uh, definitely want to educate more people on structured products because I think we, we've, uh, we've kind of touched the tip of the iceberg with a lot of different people. But before we wrap this up, Sam's itching in his chair. I see him squirming over there. He's ready for his favorite part of the show. So hit us with it, Sam.
3: Yeah, and that favorite part of the show is Sherman Says. <laughs> so joe you're a newbie here so i'll give you the rules i will provide a prompt and you will provide a response top of mind hopefully and i will start with mr sherman and then alternate mr sherman u.s consumer critical European Union. Troubled. One hundred year U.S. Treasury bond. Bond issue in size. <laughs> Millennials. Important. Are you one? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's.
1: Then he is important.
2: Yeah. 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 Okay. As a, as a demographic, not myself.
1: <laughs> so it's self deprecating. SpaceX. Apollo 11 was such a cool movie. I, I want to know more about SpaceX. Man, it got me excited. Like Joe hated biology or wasn't good at it. I didn't like physics, but I got <laughs> super excited by that movie. It was so cool. I watched it on the airplane. And, man, I want to watch it again at home in, in the you know, high definition, whatever. But I recommend that to everyone. Apollo 11 awesome. Uh, I don't know much about SpaceX.
3: So, that certainly was a top of mind response, but we tried to keep those shorter. So You uh, didn't say that anymore. You I, just did, said a I didn't. Sherman I didn't. makes his own rules. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Joe was listening, though. He's been listening to these yeah. podcasts, so he knows the one word electric vehicles.
2: Uh, I just bought one. Well, huh? congratulations. I'm saving the
3: environment. What about the batteries, though?
1: <laughs> oh, is that really saving the environment?
2: <laughs> I was being a little facetious. All right. Fast.
1: They are fast, aren't yeah, they? Sure yeah. They are, yeah. especially when you get you don't hear everyone coming; they zoom by you
3: all of a sudden. Anyway, World Series champions, two thousand nineteen. Anybody but the Dodgers—that's oh, what we thought. Yeah, we had always. a little bet on the desk, and that's yeah, what we thought.
1: Yeah, anybody but the Dodgers, and unfortunately, I don't think the Giants are going to make it. They got to—they got to win out the rest of the year at this point.
3: Kick that over to you too, Joe.
2: Anyone but the Cubs. All
3: right.
2: Well, you're not a Cubby fan, huh? He's
3: just being realistic. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a White Sox fan, actually. Ah, Southside. So there's side. A, there's okay. a
1: rivalry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
3: Super Bowl 2020. Champions. Niners. It's their year. Same for you, Joe.
2: Chicago Bears, for yeah. sure.
1: We <laughs> took your kicker back after we dumped him on you, right? Cody Parkey. No, Gould, remember? Oh, Good as Gould. Good yeah, as Gould. He yeah. was good as
2: Gould. Yeah.
3: Actually, I do have a side.
1: And then no one made that that kick when they uh, had that bar. You remember the Chicago bar said if you can make the same kick that he missed in the playoffs, right, you'd have free beer for a year or something like that. (laughs) No And all these people came out, and, like, there was a huge line. I think they let, like, 50 or 100 people do it, and no one came close. (laughs) But, I mean, it's easy to judge.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I've got a little side question here for you, Joe. You started out the segment um, referencing your first job out of grammar school. I think you may have been 12 or 13 at that time working at the bank, and the new CEO came in. You referenced the uh, low yield environment, low uh, tight net interest margins. Where are we at today? And you, because you wrote in your your notebook at that time, uh, got to find a new job. What's in your notebook right there?
2: Well, today it's. Uh, I don't know how. I, is this a one-word answer? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how I can Similar answer that situation this in, uh, in one word. I think when you look at. Uh, I'll just talk about maybe I'll, I'll talk about my favorite bond in the in the world right now, and that's the uh, the 50 year bond that was issued by the Swiss government in, in 2014 with a 2% coupon. So you think oh, I'll get I'll get my you know 2% for 50 years? It seems like a pretty risky propaganda. I would not have wanted to buy that at the time, and that loan is now trading at 220 on the on the 220 a par. So you more than more than doubled um, your money. So I think when you start seeing you know things like that. Swiss bond trading at at, at two hundred, and then Austria issuing a hundred year bond that also doubles in price. I don't want to say bubble, but um, interest rates and, and and bond yields now are are too low in my in my estimation. Another thing that I was just thinking about and looking at is the dividend yield on the S and P five hundred now is one point nine five percent. So the dividend yield on stocks is the same as the yield that you get from buying the 30-year treasury. So historically, you buy stocks for capital appreciation and bonds for their income purposes, and that um, relationship is breaking down where stocks have higher dividend yield than um, the 30-year U.S. treasury, and you see the, some of these government bonds trading at 200. So it's a it's a interesting times.
1: I like how you're now asking questions during Sherman's things. Okay, well, <laughs> that so was what's longer than one word. Yeah, I apologize. Yes, yeah. scared money don't make no money, and <laughs> loud don't follow no rules. So with that, we'll end the show. Joe, thanks again. Um, uh, I'm sure our listeners found this fascinating. Uh, I hope we're so. going to have to have you back. Um, someone who took the complicated world of CLOs and distilled it down so well. So we yeah. really appreciate it. Thanks again, everybody. Uh, you can catch us now on Stitcher. We got a new uh, publication out there. Uh, we have Spotify, we got SoundCloud, Google Play, obviously the Double Line website, this thing called iTunes. Uh, we'll take feedback, Sherman Show at Double And you can follow us on the web or on the Twitter at Sherman Is that what you call it loud? The Twitter? That's right. Yep. So on the Twitter, it is Sherman at sh- Sherman Show Pod. So again, we'll uh, be back soon with kicking off our CIO series very shortly.
2: Thank you very much.
0: The audio presentation represents Doubleline's intellectual property. No portion of this presentation may be published, reproduced, transmitted, or rebroadcast in any media in any form without the express written permission of DoubleLine. DoubleLine has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. To receive permissions from DoubleLine, please email media at DoubleLine.com. Neither DoubleLine nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or the information contained in this podcast and any liability, therefore, Including in respect to direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage is expressly disclaimed. Double Line is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice in this podcast. The receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by any Double Line entity or individual to that listener nor to constitute such person as client of any double line entity. The portfolio risk management process includes an effort to monitor and manage risk but does not imply low risk.